Six circles of relationship formed around Jesus in his time on earth. In the outermost circle, there were the crowds, tens of thousands of people curious to learn more about the prophet from Galilee. Next, the 5,000 who journeyed out from their villages in desperate need of something from Jesus. Then the 70 who served Jesus' ministry. They wanted to do something for him. There were the 12 who Jesus called to leave their jobs and the worlds they knew to follow him. Then Peter, James, and John, who fully embraced the joy of Jesus as well as his sufferings. And finally, the one, John, who sat beside him at the Last Supper. He listened more closely than any other and recognized the Savior when no one else did. What can we learn from these circles of relationship about how we can get closer to Jesus today? Jesus is always calling you closer. How did I ever find myself here, alone with Jesus? Everywhere else I've been with him on this journey of faith has included other people. As his life fills mine, the less important my life is becoming to me. The joys I'm finding in this closer journey are beyond what I ever thought I would know, and the pains deeper than I ever thought I could endure. But each struggle has opened my soul and stretched me to new heights and depths of knowing Christ. This is all that matters to me now. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I love Him, the more I trust Him, and the more I'm able to walk in who He's created me to be. Sometimes when it was a discipline I was trying to establish, it wasn't fun. It wasn't something that was always joyful. Sometimes I was too tired. Sometimes I missed it. And then the more disciplined I got at it, the more relaxed I got at it. And I found the joy. I found the desire. I've learned my capacity to keep growing is increasing. Like When I was younger, I thought, I'm going to learn this all. Now, as I walk with God, I realize I'm never going to learn this all. This is an adventure. I should be excited for what's next because there's more to God than I could ever imagine. So I'd advise, especially young people, to persevere in their relationship with the Lord. Get involved, be part of a fellowship, because all that contributes to you know, spiritual growth. It's definitely been a discipline. It doesn't come naturally at all. I think it goes against our flesh. I still have to choose to spend time with the Lord. And I think that really is part of maturity, is that understanding that life has to be pushed away for God's voice to come in. It really is an understanding that I have to be intentional about pursuing God. He's pursuing me all the time, but I need to pursue back. Sometimes He walks us through hard things. He asks us to do hard things that aren't easy and that aren't comfortable in order for us to feel and to know His presence. But you have to be in God's presence to hear His voice. You gotta be and know who God is to know that that is Him. One of the things I've learned is that on my worst days, when I was wondering, where are you, God? He was right there with me. I'm learning to trust God more and more. If you trust Him to help grow you and not rely on yourself, you will make it. I started doing things because they were right, and I didn't even fully understand why I did it, but I did the right thing. And now as I live in the reward of doing the right thing, God is starting to show me even what's behind doing the right thing. 
and its relationship. No matter how busy you are, no matter what you have going on, no matter how difficult it can be, don't stop fighting for your time alone with God. Amen, amen. What an incredibly powerful uh, just message from some people. And I just want to encourage you this as well. If you want to grow in your relationship, in your maturity with Christ, surround yourself with people who've been doing it for longer. I'm so thankful that so many people in that video are people who have invested in me. One of the reasons that I believe that I'm at where I'm at is because of just watching closely to, to those people uh, in my life that, that have, are further along on the journey and just saying, how did they get there? Um, let me go there as well. Uh, so just... I encourage you to do that. It's an honor for me to be able to wrap up this series today as we've been talking about these circles around Jesus, all the way out from the crowds, all the way into now today, the one that Jesus loved. And even before we dive in, let me encourage you, this isn't, we're not doing this just like for some fun historical background of who Jesus surrounded himself with, but we did it so that, so that each and every one of us can figure out where we're at. Let the spirit prompt us closer to Jesus. Don't let this just be a time where you get to study scripture and be like, wow, that's cool of who he surrounded himself with. Let this be a time where you place yourself inside of those stories and grow closer to Jesus. And today we're going to talk about John, uh, the one that Jesus loved. I think it's interesting that he's the one that, uh, that claimed that in the moment. And we'll, we'll dive into that. But we're really going to look at two Larger chunks of scripture, a whole bunch of supporting passages, but we're going to be in the book of John. If you wanted to open up to John 19, that's where we're going to start. You can keep a thumb in John 15. We're going to be over there as well. But in John 19, we're actually going to go to a place where we find that John went, that no other disciple went. That's what we're going to even start with today. And then we're going to break it all apart. John 19 says this, finally, Pilate handed him, meaning Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where they had crucified him was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate and said, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who gets it. This happened to fulfill the scripture, which in... Psalm 22 says, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So that is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Incredible passage of scripture, almost like, like the most important moment in our, of the history of the universe is happening. And the only person referenced of all the people around Jesus, of all the disciples that were close to him, the only person referenced there with him at the moment was John. 
It's incredible. Uh, the, the place of the one really is this. It's a place of, of identifying with the death of Jesus. And I ask you just to stick with me here for, for a, couple of, a couple of moments as we dive through this, because there's some things in this where, where you're going to be challenged. We're going to go deeper together. I know even as I tried to prepare this, there were times where I would just stop and go, God, do you even want me to say that? Or is that just for me? Because I, I need to grow in some of these areas. But I encourage you, let's dive into this together. Let's grow in this together. Before we even get there, though, let's talk about John. Let's talk about this claim that he had, claiming himself as the one Jesus loved. Anybody can claim anything. They can say whatever they want. They can be or try and say that they are whoever that they want to be. But let's take a look at some things that prove that he was who he said he was. The first is this. I think it's interesting. The Gospel of John actually records more words of Jesus than any of the other Gospels. So many of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, love to talk about what Jesus did. They love to talk about his actions and his miracles and who he was and his lineage and, and all that was there. John's sole focus was the words of Jesus. He wanted to know what he said. He wanted to know what, it, what, what, was, what was really on his heart, not just what he was doing and the actions, but the meaning behind it. He pressed into that. We see at the, at the Last Supper that John is the one reclining on Jesus, just, just leaning, leaning that close to him. We're talking about these circles. I think it's interesting. Uh, it's not just that he was inside the circle of the one. He had pressed all the way through Jesus's personal space bubble. All right. He was leaning up against him at the Last Supper while he was there. At the Last Supper, actually, as Jesus is teaching and saying, one of you is, is going to betray me. It's Peter that leaned over to John and was like, hey, you should ask him. <laughs> like, like, how many of us know that, that when when you know that there's a favorite in the room, you ask them to ask the hard questions, right? Like as kids, you would always be like, all right, who's, who's the last person that has made mom and dad like mad? Let's ask that person to ask for something for all of us. My own kids do this, right? My boys, they're six and eight. They'll be like, Jovi, you're four, you're cute. Just go crawl up on dad's lap and then ask for chocolate for all of us. And I feel like that's even the moment of Peter recognizing, saying, John, you're the closest. Ask, ask this question, ask him who it's gonna be. And we see at the crucifixion, it hit me as I was even preparing this, that John, the moment of the crucifixion while Jesus is hanging on the cross is still close enough for Jesus to have a conversation with him. Like, think about that. How, how, how powerful is this moment? How much turmoil is he in? Yet he's still close enough to hear and obey the words of Jesus all the way to the cross. And in that moment, Jesus then entrusts his mother that we just read to John, which is outside of the cultural norms even of the day, because we know through scripture that Jesus had, had brothers. It would, the, the mother, the responsibility of taking care of mom would go to the oldest brother that is there. And we know that there's other brothers, so it should have gone down that lineage unless John was closer than a brother. Unless John had such a relationship with him that even Jesus from the cross would say, this is now your son and this is now your mom. We see that John followed all the way to the cross, but why is that so important? I believe that one of the reasons that John did and why he identified himself at the cross is because he understood the importance of it. It wasn't just about the miracles. It wasn't just about what he had done. It wasn't even just about what he said. It was identifying all the way to the cross. And I think that's something that we as, as Christians and as believers uh, need to lean further into. 
I think we, I think we love, we love the miracles, Jesus. We love the, the joy that we get. But John went all the way to the cross. You see no other disciples mentioned there. You notice that Peter is already outside denying that he even knows him. One of the, one of the three that we talked about last week. But yet John was all the way there. And I think why this is so important in that moment is that when we diminish the death of Christ, we underestimate the power of the resurrection. And when we only focus on the miracles and we only focus on the positive and we only focus on the good that's there because we don't like to talk about the negative, the good actually isn't as good. The light is, is brighter when the moment is the darkest. When we simplify the cross, we cheapen the resurrection. But John was committed. He knew the resurrection was coming. He knew Jesus had talked about it. But he wanted to know exactly how big this overcoming was going to be and followed him all the way to the cross. It's fun to talk about all the miracles. But your faith will rise up when you understand the power of those miracles. Our faith is not just in faith itself. It's not the power of positive thinking. Our faith is powerful when it matches the level of our Savior. Our faith is powerful when the size of our God is bigger and in whom we place our faith. And that's the thing that John understood when everyone else heard the stories about crucifixion so their faith could rise to that level. John said, no, 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 I was there through it all. I talked to him on the cross. Let me tell you how incredible this is, it really is. He can overcome anything that I may be facing. What does it mean to us then? Why does, it, why does Paul say in the New Testament, I want to identify with Jesus, his crucifixion and his resurrection? It seems like it's, it's, it's great. We should talk about the resurrection all the time. Like I want to identify with the resurrection, but there's an importance of identifying with both the crucifixion and the resurrection. Yeah. Scripture tells us that at this level, it's um, not just to remember and to think about it, but to identify with it. To even die to ourselves, it says. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, it records Jesus saying to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Sometimes it says, die to himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Essentially, when we deny our own desires, just as Christ did, just as Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane said, said, not my will be done, but yours. I don't want to go through this, but God, if this is your plan, when we have that same posture and say, I don't want to go through this. This isn't what I would choose, but God, it's not up to me. It's up to you. When we deny ourselves, when we die to ourselves, and, and focus solely on who Christ is, that's where we who really find out who we are in Christ. That's when we discover who God has made us to be. There's an interesting quote from C.S. Lewis that says this, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Let, let that one sink in for just a moment. If we serve a God with resurrection power that wants to raise you to life, that he wants to give you life, there's nothing he can raise to life unless it has first died. And it's up to us in those moments to say, God, I lay this down. I will deny myself in this so that I'm ready for what you have for me. As a matter of fact, Scripture, John even says in chapter 12 of his, of his gospel, he says, our lives are more like a seed. And Jesus speaking here says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If it doesn't, 
going to the ground, if it doesn't die, it can't bear the fruit that it's intended to be. God wants us to flourish, but for us to flourish, we must die to ourself. John witnessed this. John sat right there and saw it all, saw what it was. But what was it about John's life that got him to this level? It wasn't just that he saw it, because if he saw it, that's that moment that was there. And then what was it that allowed him to continue on this path? I believe that what it meant to John, what John did, and what I believe we can do in this moment is really wrapped up in what is what's considered John's favorite word. And I didn't realize this until I read the book that we're, that we're wrapping this around, how often John used this word. And the word is abide. John uses the word abide. In some of our translations, it, it, um, it's changed to the word remain. John remained with Jesus no matter what. John was there when he was doing the miracles. John was there when he was raising a little girl from the dead. John was there when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. God was, or John was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. John was there at the foot of the cross. For the entire ministry that he was a part of, John remained with Jesus. Not just when it was fun, not just when it was beneficial, not just when crowds gathered around and, and wanted to be a part of this, this incredible thing that was going on. John figured out a way to remain in him no matter what was happening or no matter what was going on. A.W. Tozer said it this way. His quote says, Why do some persons find God in ways that others do not? Why does God manifest his presence to some and let multitudes of others struggle along in the half light of this Christian experience? The difference lies not with God, but with us. It's up to us to remain. God will be God. Jesus is who Jesus is, but it's us, up to us to remain. It's up to us to respond to what he's doing. And John uses this, uses this word a lot. And I just want to dive in with the remaining time that we have with a couple of these areas of where John tells us to abide, where he tells us to remain so that we can stay in this circle of one in this proximity and closeness with Jesus. The first thing he says is in John chapter eight, he says, abide in his presence. In John chapter eight, verse 35, it says, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And a son abides in his presence, in his house forever. There's so many times where, where church is important. It's important to be a part of, of a body of believers, to come together, to allow people to, to lift your faith. There's times where, where I walk into church and my faith is low. And I'm going, I've got to go. We're going to go through the motions. And then when I get into this presence, and other people are there. You don't even know this at times, but when you are worshiping, you are lifting people's faith up because you're in the presence of God. Yet the part that's scary to me is there's a, there's a research organization that researches church culture. It's called Pew Research. It says this, that 47% of Americans who profess to be Christians, um, only 40% of them go to church only once a, or at least once a week. Less than half of the people who say that they are Christ followers go to church once a week. 
And I'm not saying this, please hear me in this. I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm not saying this. This is not a legalistic moment where it's like, you need to be here every week. I'm saying it because you need to be here to be able to be in his presence. I don't come to church because I have to appease Pastor Rob or I'll lose my job. I don't come to church just to even appease God and check a box. I come to church because I realize how much I need to be in the presence of God. We need to abide in the presence of God. And John understood that. And John knew that he remained in the presence of God. He also says to abide in Jesus. I love John 15. It talks about the the vine and the branches. And it says in in verses four and five, the whole thing, honestly, from like all the way down through verse 11 is incredible. But just verses four and five say, abide in me and I in you. As As the branch cannot bear fruit, of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And it continues to talk about the vine and the branches. But what does that mean? What does it mean to remain in Jesus? Like it's a wonderful like word picture that's there. But how do we actually remain in Jesus? What does it mean here? I believe there's a few things that it does. I believe that part of it is just the act of receiving and trusting all that God has to give. I think that there's a lot of times where we, because we don't want to remain, or maybe we just aren't thinking it that way. I don't think that many of us don't remain because we don't want to. I believe that sometimes we just stop short because we think we've gotten what he intended. And it's trusting and receiving all that he has. The branches never leave. They always stay attached to the vine and they get all that they have. The part that jumps out to me so often, and you can even see in my Bible, um, the word nothing is highlighted. It's underlined in blue and it's circled. Because if I were honest with you right now, I would tell you that I've got some pretty good talents. I could, I could probably do something like, you know, like I feel like, I feel like there's a few things that I've learned over the years that could allow me to be somewhat productive, but there's moments that I have to remind myself over and over again that I can do absolutely nothing of significant eternal value apart from Jesus. And there's times where, where, believe me, I don't want to hear that in my own spirit. I don't want to believe that. I want to think that there's things that I can do. And Jesus sometimes is kind of this supplemental that he'll like sprinkle fairy dust on what I'm doing to make it even better. And it's not the case. It's if I don't remain, if I don't physically keep myself remaining in who he is, there's no eternal value that can come from it. And because of that, I get to produce fruit. That's one of the other things that's promised in there. That when we stay there, we can produce fruit. If you're, if you're trying to take a look at your life and, and see if you're remaining in him, what eternal fruit are you producing in your life? Yes. Again, some of these are, 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 are hard moments to look at and go, all right, God, when was the last time that I really produced eternal fruit? That would let you know if you are abiding and remaining right. in who he is. Another part that is, is something that hit me, that I had to work through in in preparing for this is you realize in verses one and two of, of that, of that passage in, in chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, but my father is the gardener. My father is the one who does the pruning. If there's, if there's any branch that's not producing fruit, he prunes it and takes it away. 
My question to, to me, my question to you today about if you are abiding or remaining is, is when was the last time that God pruned something out of your life? That's what hit me even in the moment of going, if I'm remaining, then I'm constantly a work in process. Am I willing to stay long enough for God to say, hey, let's work on this? Here's a part that you need, to, you need to lay down. Or here's a part that you need, to, you need to go a little bit further. Here's a part. Am I so in tune with the spirit that I'm not just, I'm not just enjoying the, the, the fun of it all, but where am I going to let God prune away in my life? I think John, that's one of the reasons that he went all the way to the cross is he wanted to see, wanted to watch to see how far he would go and would continue as long as Jesus would go as well. Allow God to prune you. Abide in the word is the other one that he talks about. John 8, 31 says, Then Jesus said to those um, Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's not just a fun movie quote. It's scripture. If you abide in my word, that is the truth. I just have to ask all of us today, how are we in our abiding in the word? How are we diving into scripture, the, the soap cards that are, that are on our chairs even this weekend? How are we with that and just, and just getting his word into our life? I want to say this to those of you that are, that are men in the place today. Um, if you struggle reading, reading the word of God, I encourage you as we talk about life groups and, have, and all that's starting up, there are groups for men called Promise Principle Groups that will help you even understand how to read scripture. Go online, find a group, rally around a bunch of guys and just dive into the word of God. There is no better curriculum than you will find than the word of God. Everything else is based off of it. So you might as well go straight to the source, but I encourage you get involved in what, what God has for you because there's some incredible benefits to abiding. Some incredible benefits that John talks about as well. When you allow God to work in your life and when you remain in him through it all, you see that in that passage in John 15, it says in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. Think about that. Have you ever prayed and been like, why won't God give me this? Why won't God, why won't God show up in this moment? I think that there's, there's, there's moments where, where God has timing that he's, he's trying to get us to understand. I think there's times where when we look at ourselves, we go, are we just coming back asking him to do something in a moment and then we're not going to remain and we're going to drift back away. And then when we need something else, we're going to come back again. Or are you willing to abide in him? Because here's what I know that when I abide in him, my desires align with his desires. My, my, what, what I ask of him aligns with what he already wants to give me. That's the, the secret to all of that. It's not this magic genie where if I stay closer to him, he has to give me whatever I want. It's that moment of, of I love when my kids ask me questions that I would have already told them to do. You're like, yes, I'm glad you took the initiative. And I feel like that's what Jesus says when we abide in him and our, our hearts align and we say, God, would you do this so that more people can know you in my workplace? Or can you do this so that I can, I can be a light to my family? I feel like he's like, yes, of course I will. Because that's what I want from you anyway. It also says when you abide in him, it deters sin. In 1 John 
chapter 3, verse 6, it says, who abides in me does not sin. How many of you know that, that when you are constantly remaining in who Jesus is, your distractions on the side seem to fade away? I mean, think about the, the times where if, if temptation comes up, grab your Bible. Like, go online, listen to, listen to a message you've even heard before. It doesn't even matter. Just, just get in his presence. Throw on some River Valley worship music, all right? Like, if there's date night, this is the word picture that I got, the thought that I had in my head, because this is how I think. Date night, like, girlfriend's coming over, house is clean, like, table is set, Italian food, candles, Pastor Ryan just playing in the corner. Like, there's no better accountability than that right there. Abide in who he is. And it's moments like that when everything else just kind of falls away because your focus is so in tune in who God has for you. So I want you to know this, to circle back to where we started. It's not just about the study of, of who Jesus surrounded himself with. It's not even a message on John the person. To me, I wrote this down. This is, this is a roadmap for Brandon. It's a roadmap for you. It's not just about John being the one Jesus loved because that, that sounds so exclusive. It's the one, like none of us can get there. It's not true. You are the one Jesus loves. Jesus loves you today the same that he loved John. The difference between John and some of the other disciples was how John returned that love and how much John stayed involved in him and stayed remaining in him. So my challenge to you today, what do you need to do to remain even more? What do you need to do? What step is it? Is it, is it scripture? Is it putting an in, in, in emphasis on being in his presence? Is it just remaining through the pruning and allowing God to do what it is? Whatever it may be, take the step closer to Jesus. No matter where you are, we can all take a step closer if God is on the move, we need to be on the move with him and continue to move as he goes. I want to close with this. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He will draw near to you. He's waiting for you to continue to draw near to him as well. You are the one that Jesus loves. It's up to us to respond and go after him. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you for giving us your word giving us this scripture, giving us this example that is John. Not just so that we can study his life, but so that we can apply it to ours. God, I pray even in this moment that your Holy Spirit be, be working on us, be pruning us, shining light on areas that we need to be pruned, that we need to die to our flesh and deny who we are and our desires so that we can do what you've called us to do. God, we commit that to you and pressing in, into your presence and not just pressing into it, but remaining there, not falling back, not drifting, staying planted firm in who you are. In Jesus' name today, amen and amen.